I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. When I say uh, Southern Girls Desserts, uh, the the project, what is your first words that come to your mind when you think about the project? Exciting and stressful. (laughs) Those are the two words that come to mind, exciting and stressful. This is Ricardo Meza currently development associate at Asana Partners. At the time of the project that he's referring to, he was a project manager at Prime Store, a Los Angeles-based company that specializes in the development and management of properties in urban areas. They say challenges are opportunities to learn. Well, the project that you'll hear about today provided a wealth of knowledge. This project was a 2,000 square foot tenant improvement located in Watts, California, a city within the county of Los Angeles. For those that may not know, a tenant improvement is the interior build out of a rental space within an existing building, which is typically referred to as the shell, which you'll hear more about later. The tenant was Southern Girl Desserts, a Southern inspired bakery founded in 2007 winners of Food Network's Cupcake Wars, and a staple for many, including celebrities like Denzel Washington, Magic Johnson, Samuel L. Jackson, Mariah Carey, Misty Copeland, Stevie Wonder, and many more. There's a reason for the attention. When I first visited their store, I had their signature sweet potato cupcake, and I was hooked. At their grand opening, my wife and I bought nearly one of everything, seriously. Whenever you're in LA, make it a point to stop by. I was already excited to work with Southern Girl Desserts, but I was also excited about the opportunity to add the popular niche of bakeries to my portfolio. I had previous experience with restaurants, but a bakery would be something unique. 
Now, bakeries can have quite a range from simple storefronts that are primarily retail to the other end of a spectrum, which is a much more production heavy space where equipment, processes, and people come much more into play. Southern Girl Desserts Watts was the latter. This is the story of one of my most rewarding yet challenging projects to date. Seemingly at every turn, another challenge emerged. There were numerous factors to consider and unexpected twists of having to obtain a building permit in the middle of a global pandemic and working in one of the most complicated states, California, within one of the most difficult local jurisdictions, Los Angeles. My name is Demetrius Lynch, and this is Spaces. Back in mid-2019, a friend of mine, Brandon Salam Bailey, or Styx as many know him by, approached me about helping him with a concept for a project that he was trying to get funded. He was working with a developer named Leandro Tyberg, the president and co-founder of Prime Store Development. At the time, Jordan Downs, a 700-unit public housing apartment complex in Watts, California, was undergoing a $1 billion redevelopment. Prime Store was overseeing a commercial component of the redevelopment and had just completed the shell building for what would be called Freedom Plaza, a contemporary open-air retail center. Leandro and his team were actively seeking tenants, which they have a unique method to do so. You're right. Look, each of our projects, they need to be reflections of how people feel, and they need to be reflections of the identity of the community. We don't always know what that is. And so that's where you have to walk in really, really with an open heart and open mind and spend the years of time, you know, meeting with community groups, understanding programming, uh, understanding the intent, and then really trying to find what is that specialness that people want to see reflected in projects in their community. This is Leandro. Not only are projects programmed by the community, um, our projects are named by the community. Um, they help us select the tenant mix. They educate us on the merchandising plan. And then most importantly, they're ultimately built by the community. So we have a very, very strong passion for local hire uh, on all of our projects, whether it's required by government agencies or not. Uh, on this project, for example, um, the housing authority, which was uh, effectively our landlord, because it is public housing projects, they mandated a 30% local hire requirement, um, and we ended up achieving 78%. After a couple of months of working together with Leandro and Styx, Leandro asked if I would be interested in submitting a proposal for a bakery that he was working on bringing in as a tenant. As a fairly new architecture practice at the time, I jumped at the chance. This would be my first constructed commercial project under my own name, that is, assuming it would get built. By January 2020, I was officially contracted to start work. As the contracted client, Leandro first walked me around the new space, then Southern Girl's existing store, which is located in the Baldwin Hills Crenshaw Mall, an iconic streamlined modern style building located in Los Angeles. Designed by Albert B. Gardner, with additional design contributions by A.C. Martin and Associates, 
The mall opened in 1947 as one of the first regional shopping centers built in the United States, specifically for the automobile. The now familiar mall design was the first to use a large department store to anchor smaller retail shops in a single development. The space that Southern Girl Desserts occupies is well positioned with a glass storefront that faces the parking lot and is the first store that you see when you enter the west side of the mall. However, it's only 1,125 square feet, with almost half of it used for dining, leaving very little space to operate. After walking the space with Leandro, I had a separate meeting and walked through with the owners, Katara Coleman and Shoniji Robinson. Um, but that's the whole thing, it's just being able to be as efficient as possible. Yeah. And right now, I don't feel like Number one, there's enough storage. Storage is a big, big deal. Yeah. We wouldn't have known that coming in because we didn't have anything to compare to compare. So storage is, is a is a huge is issue. That cold storage, dry cold. storage, but okay. yeah. Cold, yeah. We when we first got here, we walked into our walk-in refrigerator and walk-in freezer. We were Dancing. twirling. Yeah. <laughs> we just knew like, we it was like in our original store. We outgrew that space within six months. Oh yeah, we, we, I was we, say we two months. <laughs> yeah, like six months. We were like, oh my god, we're out of room. That part isn't the issue. Mm -hmm. What's the issue is right next to the table is a sixty-quart mixer. So if we're mixing something and somebody's on the table frosting a cake and the chocolate batter flies, yeah. You know, yeah. I observed that one benefit of the tight quarters was an intimate, homey vibe connected to the staff behind the counter and in the kitchen, as I could almost reach them from the counter and could clearly see their craft on display. Southern Girl desserts at this point were growing quickly. They were literally spilling out of the space. An unused and enclosed stairway behind the space housed some of their storage. Equipment and boxes blocked the valuable walk up counter. There was even a storage unit in the parking lot for seasonal equipment. They had come a long way from the early days of their business. Hi, I'm Shoni G. Robinson. I'm co-owner of Southern Girl Desserts. Hello, I am Katara Coleman, and I am also co-owner of Southern Girl Desserts. It started in 2007 here in Inglewood, California. I was new to LA and the holidays were coming around and it would be times where I was just missing home, not being able to get those desserts that I was used to, my grandmother's red velvet cake or banana pudding. And I would be taking banana pudding. That was my thing, right? I was taking banana pudding to events, cookouts. That was the dish that Qatar would always bring. And I would always have a friend who would ask me to make her banana pudding when she came to Los Angeles. So one day I was like, I had just started working for the County of Los Angeles. And I was like, I don't know if I necessarily want to work in this capacity for the rest of my life. I wanted to create generational wealth. So I decided after, you know, watching different shows and being inspired that I was like, I want to start a business. A friend was like, why don't you start a bakery? And I was like, you know what? That's a great idea. It was almost like it was right under my nose. So from there, I was like, okay, I want to start a bakery, but how do I do that? So I reached out to 
a girl named Krista who had a company called Kiss My Bunt. She did little bunt cakes and things of the sort. And she gave me the rundown on everything that I needed to do to become an official business. So when I got a DBA, went and got a business license, went and got did all of this stuff, opened up a business account, got all of that stuff. And that's how the business started. It didn't even have social media back then. I think the most it was like MySpace. So I remember sending out emails to like sorority sisters and people from Florida A&M University, which is our alma mater, and just saying, hey, I have this business. Ta-da-da. But not too long after that, uh, we had a big sister um, who was a part of the sorority who introduced me to Shaniji. I actually had met Shaniji before, but we only had maybe one or two run-ins together. But we had mutual friends. And that friend said, you all should meet up because Shaniji had an idea of starting her own business. And I had already started Southern Girls. She was like, you all have the same audience pretty much. So why don't y'all think about doing this together? And I was like, absolutely. So Shaniji came over to my apartment in Inglewood. We sat down. We were talking for maybe 30 minutes and I asked her to be my business partner. And she agreed. And we've been together ever since. Now, Katara always leaves out the, the part of this story that is kind of funny pretty much on point there. That's how the story began. I was working at Avon as an assistant and I would sit at my desk and I started putting together ideas for this bakery business because like Katara, we both have that foundation. We've been baking, we've been cooking since we were little girls. And so it's something that we knew how to do. Like her, my story is pretty similar people would always ask for cakes and all these things. And I'm just like, oh God, no. So it just kept coming back over and over and over again. And I was like, okay, let's, let me just roll with this. So while she was formulating Southern Girl Desserts, I was formulating this other thing. And then like she said, our girlfriend said, you two need to just get together. So when we met at her apartment and we had that conversation, She said, will you be my business partner? I said, absolutely. I said, but I won't be sharing any recipes with you until I know if this thing is really going to go somewhere. (laughs) So for literally maybe the first, what, three, four months, we were baking under the same company name, but we were just kind of doing our own thing from our own home kitchens. I was doing my own version of the recipe. She was doing her own version of a recipe. So it was just something in the beginning that needed to get smoothed out. With an understanding of them as individuals and a business, input from Prime Store, and seeing their needs firsthand, I was ready to get to work. After documenting the new space, I began with code analysis and cross-checking the code against the drawings of the existing shell building. The new space was somewhat narrow and deep, approximately 32 by 60 feet. One element that would be a hurdle was the restroom. In a commercial retail space, accessible restrooms must be provided for the public. The problem is the typical core and shell building design. These buildings are the first phase of development where the developer provides the building's finished exterior, known as the shell, and the basic interior, known as the core. 
it was a code requirement. We obviously don't want to, in the shell condition, we never want to design and permit and construct the restroom just because more often than not, it's going to get demolished by whomever comes in there and leases it out. So when we design warm, dark shell spaces, it's literally just a shell, perimeter walls, stubbins for utilities, mechanical units overhead with the plenum drops, and, and that's it. And tenants do all distribution work and build out of their space. In the city of LA, for whatever reason, I, and I still don't get this component, but they require that a restroom be designed and ultimately constructed if you want to obtain a CFO as part of the shell element. We push to get a CFO or at minimum a TCO on the shell prior to any of the spaces being built out just so that we're not holding any tenant up or not. We just want to close out the project, right? So our goal is to obtain at minimum a TCO. And in order to do so, the city of LA requires that a restroom be built out for either this one space or multiple space if it's demised into multiple units. And more often than not, shell architects locate them in the rear corner for simplicity and future flexibility. However, it can create a challenge for laying out new tenant spaces that serve the public. With the restroom at the rear, you must provide a near four foot clear path all the way to that restroom, immediately losing a significant amount of usable space. To address the issue, the restroom requirement can usually be negated if there's an accessible public restroom within 500 foot travel distance. Unfortunately, we didn't have that case. Another option was to relocate the unit's restroom to a more central location to feed both the front and back of house. But there's added costs, and that in itself can also create layout challenges. There's also a new option that some jurisdictions are beginning to adopt, and it's the concept of a ghost kitchen. With the rise of food delivery services, these are commercial kitchens that are optimized for production to allow solely for food delivery and pickup, and most importantly, without seating for customers. Some jurisdictions are beginning to acknowledge that removing the ability for the public to occupy the space for any extended period of time gets rid of the need for a public restroom. The program was quite extensive for 2,000 square feet. Retail or seating area, serving counter for baked goods and beverage service, full commercial kitchen, walk-in cooler and freezer, break room, office, employee locker space, and dry storage space. The commercial kitchen needed to accommodate a surge of employees during the holiday rush, in addition to the necessary equipment, two double ovens and a range, 60 and 30 quart mixers, three to four work tables, and a three compartment dish sink. I was able to develop three concepts that varied in level of production capacity and retail space. The concept that Southern Girl Desserts chose was a more production-heavy option, where the sales area only took up just under a third of the space, compared to half at their current location. So when you all gave us like a couple of different options of the floor plan, we were like the floor plan with the least amount of seating space because our other store has lots of seating. But hindsight, we could have taken up a lot of that space for actual production space. And so that's why we have no seating in the current store because we needed as much production and storage space as much as possible. So we knew that going in this time, you don't need to sit down. Just come get what you need. 
and <laughs> we would say hello over the counter because we just needed that space. And I'm so glad that we made that decision. The layout was simple. One of the best things I learned in school and through studying for my license was how to simplify your design, which a big part of that is through minimal circulation that serves all spaces. So the floor plan laid out as a series of spaces all stacked to one side of the unit with an oversized walkway on the other. The concept of the design leaned into the idea of walking into a southern home. The space had a lot of verticality that I wanted to take advantage of. There were clear story windows above an already 9 foot storefront, but the clear story windows were blacked out under the assumption that the tenants would only have 9 foot ceilings. So we removed the paint and opened the ceiling up to 14 feet. From the exterior, the storefront view would be flanked with fresh baked cookies in the window on one side and a vignette of a southern porch with a rocking chair. You enter the retail space now flooded with natural light styled as a southern kitchen wrapped in beadboard walls with a large kitchen island and chandelier above as the centerpiece. Just beyond the island, I proposed a large window to provide an unobstructed view to the commercial kitchen intended to visually connect customers and the community to the entire Southern Girl Desserts team and as a nod to the first store showcasing their craft. One of the things that I did love about it was that people would be able to view into the kitchen, right? And be able to, from the counter, still have that experience of seeing what's going on while they were there, which is, we had a small portion of that because our store in, in Baldwin Hills is nothing but glass. So you can see from one side of the bakery all the way through the other side you can, and see what's going on. You can see the decorators frosting cakes and cupcakes. And so we definitely still wanted to have that interactive portion of what we had there with the new store so that people can see like, this is real ingredients. They're back there cracking eggs. They're using flour and sugar. Like they're making these items. That was important for us, for people to see that we made these things in-house and that our team actually put it together. So that was an important part of the floor plan that caught my eye immediately that I really liked. Behind the commercial kitchen is an 8 by 25 foot walk-in cooler and freezer. And behind that, private office, break room, and restroom. Then, in March of 2020. I think everybody was in the same space. Like, what is really going on here? I remember the first television communication from the governor when he said... That requires of this moment that we direct a statewide order for people to stay at home. That directive goes into force and effect this evening. And we were like, oh my God. And so we sent everybody home. People were just like, you know, buying up all the groceries and the toilet paper. Yeah, that was crazy. And, <laughs> and we didn't know what to do at that point. But then when they said, if you have a takeout situation, you can remain open. We were like, oh, well, we do. Early on, the pandemic didn't change much of the process. We largely continued on as usual, and once the architectural concept was approved, the design team was expanded to include a kitchen consultant, Concord Equipment Company, who ironed out the kitchen equipment and details. 
an interior designer, Dean Gary, who was the interior designer of the previous space and added continuity and branding. On the actual reflective ceiling plan, you can see outlined in the yellow the treatments that are happening there. This is Dean discussing some of the design concepts in our design development meeting. Along the perimeter of the space, there's a soffit that's 42 inches uh, high by about, I think, 24 or 25 inches deep. And what that's doing is, if you look down at the elevations on the bottom, that's showing, and what we've done is we just patched in some of the materials that we used on the original space. So this is just kind of a legacy sort of uh, branding statement that the stop it holds is a mural. It's a digitally printed mural. It's on a canvas type of material and that sort of thing. Winston Engineering stepped in to tackle mechanical, electrical, and plumbing engineering. And the structural engineer, Wright Engineers, addressed a number of areas, strengthening the slab work for heavy equipment, designing appropriate connections for wall and ceiling assemblies, and verifying roof designs for rooftop equipment. Much of the team already worked remotely or quickly adapted, so the design process ran smoothly. But by the end of the design, the world had operationally changed, and we now had to submit plans electronically to one of the most difficult jurisdictions to deal with in Southern California. Oh, we already knew that that was going to be an issue. It was an issue prior for the original store and anything else that we had done in the past. So we had had some experience with permitting. So we didn't have expectations that it would be any better this time around, especially during COVID. People are not working in the offices. They're, everyone's teleworking. So our expectations for that Anytime it came back, we're waiting for permitting. I don't think that scared us. We kind of knew that it was already a difficult process. So it wasn't like we were um, like, when is this going to happen? We were just very patient, I believe, with it because we were like, when it happens, it happens because there was nothing, there's nothing you can do regarding permitting. That's kind of one of those things that's out of your control. So the stress about it was like, didn't make sense for us. And I think also, you know, even when people talk about expediting and and all that (laughs) that expediting really is still delayed so and like Katara mentioned that coupled with a whole pandemic and people not working in an office it was just like okay well whenever I will never understand the permitting process though it's like these people have been doing this like you all get people coming here all the time why is it so slow and difficult to communicate, you know. God bless y'all because I couldn't deal with it. (laughs) We appreciate y'all for dealing with it for us. This is rare. I was lucky to have such great and understanding clients while trying to navigate such a complex situation. After submitting the plans, to my delight, I was alerted that the plumbing permit would be an express permit, which is where there is no requirement for someone at the city to review the plans and the contractor simply pays for the permit before beginning construction. One less thing to think about, right? Well, I would soon find out that was not the case, which I'll get to in a second. Let's take a break to share a little bit more about our sponsors. Systems and Standard Operating Procedures You already know that's how to build a profitable business and find the freedom you want, but you struggle with choosing which systems you need most 
and how to implement those systems quickly so that you can get back to doing what you love most. This series will help. The Designing Your Business Masterclass series created by acclaimed architect and business consultant Douglas Teeger, FAIA, aims to help fellow architects and engineers run their firms more profitably while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Douglas grew his practice from a solo practitioner to a 30-plus person firm, then later sold his firm to do what he does today, help architects be more successful through Tiger Consulting. On the third Wednesday of every month, Douglas dives deep into an essential topic that will strengthen the profitability of your firm and make it sustainable for growth for years to come. Register now for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass with Douglas Teeger at bqe.com masterclass and start implementing powerful systems for the profitability you need and the freedom you want. Every live masterclass session includes AIA continuing education credit and when you visit bqe.com masterclass, you'll have access to the full library of past sessions on demand. The Designing Your Business Masterclass is free and it's brought to you by our friends at BQE, the makers of BQE Core. Register now for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass at bqe.com masterclass. That's bqe.com masterclass. Hey, Demetrius here. As you may know, Spaces is part of Gable Media, the next evolution of interactive media and resources for the AEC community and beyond. Gable empowers AE professionals just like you to better serve the world. Now, through the strategic development of a brand new membership platform, we are eliminating the traditional industry boundaries and information bottlenecks that we all experience. But we need your help. Please go to gablemedia.com members and pick your top three initiatives that you believe will have the greatest impact on your growth, including a continuing education program, VIP access to expert forums and private Q&As, community boards, special freebies, and more. Go to gablemedia.com members and let us know what you'd like to see. Small firm entrepreneur architects, get ready to build a better business with the Entree Architect podcast, where business meets architecture. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, the host of Entree Architect Podcast. Join me every week for inspiring interviews with passionate people that share proven strategies to help you build a better business. If you think there is a problem, one, you can't make a move until you have a plan in place. The accountability chart really helps plan, okay, for the business six to 12 months out, this is what we need. We cover it all from financial management to marketing, sales, productivity, and beyond. There's two sides of it, right? So there's the one when you don't have any work. So you're like, well, I'm either gonna charge enough to be profitable or I'm gonna go go out of business. Or you have so much work and you have backlog and you don't need any more work. So you charge way more. I'd also say lagging measures, one of the best, like the best, best, best. (laughs) So for any client, for any professional service um, company, if you're gonna take one thing away from what we're talking about today, is to look at a number called the labor efficiency ratio. Entree Architect is not just a podcast. It's your secret weapon for success. With over 500 episodes, it's one of the longest running architecture podcasts in the world. You're sure to find the information you need to elevate your business. 
follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now and join the community of small firm entrepreneur architects building better businesses. And now let's get back to the conversation. The submittal process was hindered by severe miscommunication, largely due to the pandemic and what was, I believe, the first time the city leaned so heavily on electronic submittals. None of the staff were in the office, they rarely received or returned calls, and communication via email was a challenge. And COVID protocols typically added on about a week to any exchange of any hard copies. By January of 2021, We were days away from approval, but Southern Girl Desserts' experience over that year validated shifts in their business operations, which led to an adjustment in the design. During the pandemic, our online business went through the roof. We already were doing nationwide shipping, kind of, but during the pandemic, that's what really held our business together. And we saw a trend that companies were now ordering online for shipping for their employees, friends and families. So we were doing such high volume. We have to have the equipment in place that allows us to be as efficient and productive as possible. And so we recalled there was a kitchen that we used in the early phases of our business And that was our introduction to that piece of equipment, which was the rotating rack oven. I mean, because Demetrius, we were baking around the clock from year one. I mean, you should see our kitchen. We had four double ovens and the convection ovens, and they were all being used 24 hours a day for a whole week for us to keep up with the demand. That was even before we started shipping. And then when we started shipping, oh my God, it was like... How are we going to, you know, do 2,000 in this order and 3,000 in that order within a week of each other? We made it work, but that... We still sit and wonder how we How did we do it? (laughs) When we first started our business, I remember Katara's crazy self would take a knife and chop pecans. (laughs) You know, she she literally she literally would be chopping the pecans. Crazy. And then you learn that you can use a food processor or a RoboCoop or something like that. So yeah, that's been the evolution of our business. Like on every level, yeah. we start discovering new things that help us become more efficient. Yes, and become more productive. Lord, that oven we're talking about is five by five by eight feet tall, which allows for a rolling rack that holds about 12 baking sheets to cook simultaneously, (laughs) dramatically increasing their output. I would say, honestly, 100% increase. I think think we'll be able to more than double our production. To get the construction started, the team decided to pull the initial permit and begin construction on the areas that would remain unchanged. But that revision for the oven would require resubmittal for the building, mechanical, and electrical permits, where, again, we ran into communication issues. 
it was a, a fine balance. And I think it ultimately ended up affecting our timeline that we had to basically put a pause on construction just because it, you know, dragged on longer than anybody could anticipate again as, as a result of the pandemic. And so our contractors started work and got to a point where they just, we couldn't proceed without having that design approved. Like we could, we, we ran utilities based on our design, but we couldn't get those inspected until we had a, an approved plan set. Another, again, another layer of, you know, we were on a schedule. It's already obviously impacted by the pandemic, this design change. And now we have to, you know, factor that in and roll with the punches and figure it out and push on it as quickly as possible. Um, kind of an awkward or, or not a typical equipment piece. I think initially the spec that they provided was like a European brand that was only distributed in Europe and so we had to like ship it in from Germany or whatever it was. Fortunately, the, I think the contractor test the construction found an alternative locally that met the same needs and was obviously sourced locally and obviously cheaper. Um, and so it you know helped out with the budget on the project. On the plan check process of getting this updated permit, there was confusion because we had two oven systems. They were checking calculations for one oven when they should have been just you they should have been using those calculations for the new oven. And they, there was this whole roundabout situation where they were talking about one thing and saying the numbers were wrong. And we didn't understand that they were reading it wrong. So that, that went in circles for a while as well. You know, I didn't know the nuances or I wasn't very familiar with the nuances of, of that technical aspect of it. But I obviously I was aware like we were just going in circles for, you know, many weeks getting them to understand our design and ultimately approve it. Ended up that we had to like talk to supervisors, go over the heads of some of our plan checkers and, and get the supervisors involved and make them aware of the urgency that we were actively in construction and needed to get these design changes approved as quickly as possible to maintain our schedule and obviously not impact our budget and the cost here. On the implementation uh, construction side, we had a, a unique situation where you end up with the exhaust for that unit coming up. And in these shell projects, you have all of these individual tenants next to each other who all have their own needs and venting. So at one point we had to go up on the roof and go between the roof and the interior to try to map out exactly how we were going to run these exhausts. We also had another oven and an intake somewhere nearby. So we had to go between the floor and the roof and the drawings to map out and identify adjacent intakes where our exhaust points were going to be our own intakes and map out the distancing to make sure that we could get it to work. So that was that was one part of that. Yeah, you're right. We we uh, there was obviously minimum spacing requirements between the intake and the exhaust lines, and and obviously spacing requirements. Unfortunately for us, there weren't any other restaurant uses in this building that we were dealing with, so that would have just added another layer of complexity if we had other ventilation equipment on the roof adjacent to our space to deal with. Once we had the design down, we then we came across issues where conflicts arose between the runs of these ventilation lines and our existing fire sprinkler system. You know, where they they were running into each other as they were running up the roof to meet the penetration point up on the roof. 
that process was also time consuming and tedious. When, when that discrepancy or that issue was brought up, we had to basically manufacture custom exhaust lines, ventilation lines from the hood systems to weave around the fire uh, main line. Because obviously modifying the main line requires a redesign and you know recalculating that system and it's a plan check process which again the design and plan check process with fire department would have been best case scenario a month worst case scenario you know two three months so at that point obviously we didn't have the luxury of time we had to you know get this project done and so fortunately again our, our contractor uh, was able to source locally a metal fabricator to create a custom angle to the exhaust system to be able to work around the existing uh, fire line. Meanwhile, that plumbing permit that I talked about re-emerged. The field inspector required that changes be made to the plans and they had to be reviewed by the plan check engineers. This is the part where my head just dropped into my hands. In the approval and the final approval process of our shell plan, there were some hand penciled in modifications to those calcs, right? I guess it was feedback from the plan checker to, to revise. Those hand modifications, which were approved by the city as part of that stamp set, never were transmitted over to the final as built. And so when we started the design of this space with the as built as our baseline, obviously we carried over those calculations. When we were going through the MEP process, the I believe the plan checker requested our our stamp set or our shell approved set and compared that to our TI package for Southern Reserves, and that's where you know it's discrepancy. And so you know, as internally we're questioning like, what do you mean discrepancy? Like we obviously designed based on the shell plans, and so we traced it back to that, and we had to figure out how to make our plumbing design work because I, I believe at the time we were already in construction and had incorporated, you know, many of the major elements of our plumbing system. So it was making the plan checker aware of that, like, hey, there's a financial hit if we have to redesign the whole system. And so work with us here to try to resolve it in the most simplest and most economical way possible. And I think we've got a couple of plan checkers in that whole process as well. Like we started with one but then they got put on somebody else's desk. And so then they had their own thoughts. Then we got the supervisor involved, which he had his own thoughts, but then he was kind of somewhat hands-off and putting it back on the plan checker. And so it was just, again, painful process. If you're familiar with plumbing, you might have a sense of how big of an issue this was, especially considering construction had already begun. Ultimately, it came down to the plan checker's concern that there would not be enough water pressure to properly service the space. After getting multiple supervisors involved, we ended up measuring and providing the actual water pressure at the space, increasing the size of some plumbing lines to increase the water volume and pressure, added a booster pump to increase the water pressure, and added a circulation pump to shorten the wait time for hot water to the sinks at the front of the space. At this point, towards the end, we had been almost a year into construction. I believe we started construction like March of 2021, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around there. Because initially we were projected to complete it in like August or September of 2021. 
And so we ended up finishing the project in January this year, 2022. So almost a year of construction as a result of all these issues that we dealt with, right? And the delays and lead time issues on some of the material and some of the equipment that also caused delays. So yeah, at the end of the day, the project ended up being construction-wise, it was 10 months. And so once we got to that finish line in January, it's, you know, the, the finishes, right? The, the uh, working with our third-party vendors on, you know, the equipment deliveries, um, making sure that all the equipment is in place, all the furniture that we that is needed, uh, working with the ladies on security systems, the POS systems, the uh, music systems, if they were going to be bringing in music. Again, all these little nuances are our graphic designer, uh, you know, working with him, obviously he had health issues that caused some impacts on the project, but trying to wrap it up, just bringing everybody together again for this final push of like, let's get this thing completed. It kind of felt like these TV shows where they, they go in and they fix up somebody's house and they surprise them, right? And it's that like pan of like that mad scramble because they're driving up, you know, they're down the street, right? And and so everybody's like, all oh, hands on board here. Like, let's go, let's go. Like, let's push. We got to get this thing fully furnished and any paint touch-up work. And that's how it felt, like that mad scramble at the end because we were like so far behind schedule. The ladies were, you know, they, they obviously had a timeline to meet as far as like opening. Fortunately for us, they, they understood. And then they were working with us to like, roll with the punches on the delays as well so again yeah they were they were unfortunately they were they were good partners in this process and work with us to again adjust to the ever shifting uh, schedule the project finally received its certificate of occupancy and keys were handed over in february of 2022 just over two years from project initiation While not an ideal process, we were able to create a space that I think largely accomplished the goals that we initially set out to achieve. When we actually got the keys and seeing it, you know, pretty much done, it was amazing. And to see that it went from this design on paper to see it actually in person from all of the storage to how large the kitchen was and Sometimes when you're an entrepreneur and you're just working and you're just moving through life, you know, just handling business and putting out fires all day, you don't really sit back and think a lot of times like, wow, this is, look is, look what's happening for us, you know? At that point, we've been in business for almost 15 years and we were like, we're finally building a new store, you know, where our business is growing and, you know, to sit back and be like, look, look how blessed we are. Look at so many businesses have gone, come and gone over the course of our time here in LA. And the fact that we were still here and growing, we had to reflect on that and not, you know, beat ourselves up for like all of the other stuff and just be so focused on everything that we have to do, but sit down and just say, oh, we, this is where we are and, and, and sit in that. And so I think being in there and seeing it all finally coming together was one of those aha moments of gratefulness and saying, okay, we, this is actually happening. Yeah. You mentioned the freezer and like having some space and you were twirling around. Uh, (laughs) Can each of you name like one element of the new store that pops out to you as like your favorite part or you know, a game changer for you beyond maybe the uh, the oven? I would have to say having an office. Yep. 
And I try to take full advantage of that every day because for years at our previous store, that was one thing that got cut from the plans. Yeah. And so we never had an office space. So like Katara mentioned, it already being so difficult to take care of the business of the business sometimes. Now we can actually settle and sit down and focus on, you know, those things in a space that's designed just for us. So I think that might be the the thing for me that I was just like, yes. <laughs> yeah, and it's a nice size office. So in addition to the office, which is great, we can actually house mail there and all those, because a lot of that stuff came home with me and now it doesn't have to live in my in our cars and in our cars <laughs> it can live at the bakery which is great for our you know lives but at the same time I also appreciate the break room for our employees because in the past they've had to go to the food court and eat or go sit in their car or leave the store and go somewhere and eat or sit in the back with customers and this time now they can actually go somewhere and sit down and have conversations or take a phone call or whatnot without being in the space or having to leave the space. So I, I that's what I appreciate as well. Yeah. Now, looking back on the whole thing, what is your perception and opinion about this whole overall process? If you have something negative about the architecture, that's fine too. <laughs> but I actually think this was easy in terms of where we stood. Mm -hmm. And I think as the client, it should feel that way. You know, you guys took on the burden of, mm -hmm. of the work. We didn't have to do anything but come and check it out and say yay or nay. And so mm -hmm. I think for, uh, for me personally, Th that was pretty cool. And I love the idea of having an architect that was just so open to hearing our thoughts, what our vision was, what our needs were, and really incorporating mm -hmm. those things and being accessible to hearing. The one thing I would change if I could is where that three compartment sink is. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was. But, you know, we had to work in the space that we had, you know. Yeah. This space is a hundred times better than the last space. It was a Absolutely. great experience. We've already benefited from it. Our employees love it because they get to you know, don't have to work on top of each other. So it's absolutely the best space that we've ever had. And I think as we continue to grow, we'll look back at this space and be like, gosh, we need a bigger space. <laughs> so we'll just, you know, I mean, but that's a good thing, you know, that we're, and we're able, this space opened us up to being able to actually bring some new ideas to fruition, like Shaniji and I doing like baking classes online that we have that type of space. First of all, the lighting is amazing in that kitchen. And then all of the work table space that we have, we're able to teach people how to bake online. And then our goal is to bring people physically in. We, we were about to do that until COVID started spiking again. So we had to kind of push that idea back down. So maybe once things get safe again, we can bring that idea back to the table. But the space definitely offers us 
the opportunity to get more streams of income in the business because of the different things that we can do in there because it's a larger space. So it's definitely been a great uh, experience working with all of you. And like Shunid, you said, just being able to be heard and then see those things implemented into the space that we're grateful for that. Thank you so much uh, for the kind words. And uh, you guys were great clients. So I, I really enjoyed the process. It was just, it was a tough one, but uh, working with you was a great part of this whole process. What's the best way, if people want to find out more about Southern Girl Desserts, uh, what's the best way to do so? And if you have anything coming up, um, any classes that you're going to do or anything like that? So we can be found on all social media platforms. We're on we're Southern Girl Desserts on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. And then we're Dessert Divas on Twitter. I don't know how we didn't get Southern Girl on Twitter, but that's another story. And then so you can find us on all those platforms. Our website is southerngirldesserts.com. On there, people can order to-go items. They can order shipping items. And we have some other things on the horizon oh we can talk about that right Shaniji, yes we can mm -hmm. yes we are super excited we have our very first product that's going to market um so it is the southern girl dessert seasoning it's not what you think so tune in see what we're talking about yeah it should be able to buy in time for thanksgiving and christmas Bakeries are a unique project type and have several complexities that may not immediately be apparent. Like anything, building an experienced team is paramount, but sometimes you just run into obstacles that no one can predict. Looking back, I think the biggest lesson learned that I would share is that when things seem to go awry and communication is the obvious issue, at all costs, get face to face by any means available. I found that phone calls and emails are a disconnected communication and surprisingly leave a lot up to interpretation. Even if it takes more time to coordinate a meeting, it'll likely save you time in the long term. And once you get that meeting, don't leave until there is a clear agreement and plan of action. In the end, I grew a lot from this project. Running into these challenges exposed me to nuances of the industry that most architects don't encounter for years, if at all. As far as the finished space, I'm very pleased with the final design and build out. And of course, I'm looking forward to stopping by for some dessert. I encourage you to go by, grab a sweet potato cupcake, check out the space and let me know what you think. And thank you to the team, Concord Equipment Company, Dean Gary, Winston Engineering, Wright Engineers, Testa Construction, Prime Store and Southern Girl Desserts. Thank you to Katara Shoniji, Ricardo and Leandro for joining me to share this story. And thank you to the listeners for listening. We'll talk again on the next one. Thanks. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out our sponsors. By checking them out and supporting them, you help us keep this show going. Thank you to BQE, the makers of BQE Core, for their support of this podcast episode. Visit bqe.com slash masterclass to register for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass. Thanks again for listening. Spaces is part of the Gable Media Network. You can check out similar content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. If you enjoy our show, 
you can support us in three simple ways for free. You can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on your podcast app if it allows you to. Tell a friend and follow us on social media. Thanks for spending time with us. Talk soon. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.